So last week, Pastor Jeff stood here and said that as a Brit, he really, he doesn't fit the sports mentality of the United States. Some of you remember him saying that. And he said he didn't understand baseball. And uh, so what, but I watched, I went online and watched his message and I, it was, it was out of the park. It was great. And what I'd like you to do the next time you see Pastor Jeff, you walk up to him and say, Pastor Jeff, that was a Grand Slam home run. And just let him figure it out. You know, let him, let him go with it. But he talked about running to win. He talked about this Scotsman back in 1924, Eric Little, who ran in the Olympics. He, on principle, he wouldn't run heats on Sunday. He ended up running a race that wasn't his, the 400-meter race, and that for years was the Olympic record. And um, here, here, was a, here was a person of faith who was sort of iconic. You can go to Scotland today, and the name Eric Little is still iconic almost 100 years later. We're going to come back to Eric Little before our time is over this morning. But he laid a great foundation, and I want to hitchhike on that. I want to build on that today, if I may. So I'm entitled, my thoughts, Let Us Run The Race. It's the title in your bulletin, Let Us, caps, Run The Race, caps. I have... Uh, in this backpack, this isn't my lunch. This, I, have my, I have my running shoes. You say, You'd, you don't look like a runner. You're too, uh, you, so, you know, runners are, in, but you're, and so these are, these are my running shoes. But I, but I was a runner 25 years after I left that British boarding school in South India when my parents were missionaries, I went there. I went back to that school, and in the little yearbook thing, they had Sports Day, August whatever, 1948, and it listed the races. And it said that the 50-meter foot race and the 50-meter frog jump race were won by six-year-old Dickie Foth. <laughs> huh? I'm just saying. The, the sad part about it is, is that was the peak of my career. That was it. Well, years later, in my 40s, I ran quite a bit, actually. And it, it was fun, and I, I did it. I always wanted to run a marathon. I never quite got there. Tore a couple of calf muscles, and I was out. But, but there's something about running. There's something about... George Sheehan, who was the medical guy for Runner's World, for years said, we as, we're human animals made to move. That was his language. We're made to run... I have a friend who was a runner in high school, very good runner, and when he was in his 30s, he was a pastor in the East Bay of California, and, and they advertised the 10K, that's 6.2 miles. He said, I think I'll go do that. You know, I, he didn't train or anything, because he's a runner. And so he went out and said, all these people, and he said, I was the rabbit. I took off, and I was way out ahead of these people for the first two miles, and we came to some hills, and I started slowing down just a little bit. And about that time, an older guy pulled up beside me, and just ran with me for about, oh, quarter, half mile, chatted just a little bit. And then he said, I probably should be going on. And he pulled away from me. <laughs> and as he pulled away from me, stenciled on the back of his T-shirt, it said, you have just been passed by a 73-year-old man. <laughs> and my friend said, I just stopped. I was done. That was <laughs> ridiculous. The writer of Hebrews, the text we're going to look at this morning, describes a race in which we run on a team. Now, when you race, you run competitively against each other, but he's describing a team where we run the same direction with each other for the same purpose. 
the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is. Scholars don't know who that is. But he's speaking to an aging church that needs to be encouraged. And he lists in the prior part of the letter. We're going to read from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. Now, understandably, there weren't chapters when this was written. We did that later. But Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. And you got the big names. You know, you got the Peyton Mannings of the running world. You've got, the, you know, LeBron James. You've got Steph Curry. The, those are the runners that are mentioned like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Joseph and Barak. And, and as you get later in that chapter, you get into some more unfamiliar names. And then there are no-namers. There are people with no names. They're just lauded as people who lay down their lives. And there's this tremendous phrase. And you can read this. I encourage you to read this in Hebrews 11 that says, The world was not worthy of them. What a great thing to have on a, a marker in a cemetery. The world was not worthy of her. The world was not worthy of him because of their trust, because of the way they lived life. Here are the words in Hebrews 12. To start, that's been said. These are the runners. They've gone before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the word witness is the same root word for martyr, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Something special about running together. When when we come to Jesus, you know, somebody's in a meeting like this, and at the end, sometimes an invitation is given. We raise our hands and say, I don't know very much about Jesus, you know, and I'm not sure I know very much about me. When I was seven years old in that British boarding school, they had a chapel. And at the end of the time, the teacher said, if you want to know more about Jesus, go to the principal's office. Well, that's a huge hurdle to the kingdom of God. The principal. <laughs> but, but that day, I gave as much as I could understand of my seven-year-old self to as much as I could understand of Jesus. Well, that's an individual decision. So we come individually to Jesus, but when we start following him in life, we don't do it alone. We do it together. That's how it is. The main reason that Ruth and I wrote this little book, Known, Finding Deep Friendships in a Shallow World, in an internet age that, that can take us wide, way wide, and also take us very narcissistic, both ways, it cannot take us deep. And that's where relationship and friendship takes us. That's the purpose for why we wrote. That's the message. We're not so much, we're very awkward about acclaim. When I hear Mackenzie say stuff, I'm going, I, you know, I, but the message, I'll go anywhere and promote that message, this Jesus who talks about what it means to be a friend. So we run together, point one in your bulletin. If you're taking notes, we run together. And the important ingredient is endurance. The word is used both about us and about Jesus in the Hebrews passage. Endurance, this staying with it, not quitting, toughing it out. <clears throat> but it's terribly hard to do by yourself. When I first started running, you know, I was 40 years old, so I wasn't like gone. I wasn't like 68 or 75. I was 40. And so I said, I can do this. So I went with a faculty. I was president of a small college, and a faculty guy was a runner. He said, come go with me. And we, Santa Cruz, California, down on the Pacific Ocean, overlooking the beach of spectacular. 5.30 in the morning, we'd start running. You could hear sea lions and gulls. It was spectacular. And I ran about an eighth of a mile 
and I was gassed. I was just, I said, let's see. So it took me about six weeks to run a full mile, and he'd be with me. And so we'd start running, and I'd say, you know, I think maybe I better start. He said, let's just go to the pole, just the pole. I said, okay. So we get to the pole, I said, okay. He said, no, no, I meant the next one. So I could get to that one, and he, he said, no, actually, I meant the, the third one. And I turned to him and said, you know, I sign your checks. And I, anyway, I just put that in there. But the, but the point is the race of life is not my race or your race as much. It is that, but it is our race together. And to do it with people is a profound thing. Those who have gone before us are an inspiration. Oh, there are always jeerers. You know, Satan himself is called the accuser. I'm here following Jesus, walking, running with you, trying to do my best. And he's over there saying, you're a mess. You'll never make it. You've done too much stuff. You can't, you'll never be forgiven. You're too weak. You're too old. You're too poor. You're too slow. You're too clumsy. You're too tired. You're too young. Whatever. But this group that, that, that the writer's talking about, these are the cheerers, not the jeerers. These are our motivations. So both inspiration and motivation come from the cheerers. If you've ever run a race with friends, if you've ever done that, whether it's a 5K or 10K or whatever, half marathon, um, it's different than when you're just running for yourself. Because when you run for yourself, you're trying to place. And a lot of times with friends, you just want to finish. You just want to be together. So in October, Ruth and I are driving to Oregon. And our kids, we have a couple of sons-in-law and a couple of daughters. And, and we've got, by the way, we found out a couple of weeks ago in Oregon that Ruth and I are going to be great-grandparents. We thought we were old before. But now we're, just, we're over the edge, you know. We're goners now. And, but anyway, I said, I said to the kids and the grandkids, I said, you guys need to just go on, run your pace when we do that. And they said, no, no, Grandpa, we've talked about this. We're all going to go your pace. We're going to do whatever you... Because so, I'm not going to... These aren't running shoes anymore. These are walking, sometimes jogging shoes. That's what those are. And, and so they're going to run with me. So it'll be so slow, we can have a couple of milkshakes coming in on the, on the last couple of miles, you know. Over the years, it's not just the people in the stands who have gone before. It's the people that you're with, that you're working life with, doing life with, that encourage you. One came to mind recently, just, just in the last few weeks. When I was president of this college, I, we hired a vice president for finance, and he had worked with community colleges here in Denver area. His name was Dr. Barry Noonan. He became our VP for finance in the 80s. And the late 70s and early 80s were terribly difficult economic times. Many of you know that. And for small colleges, it was a huge challenge. But, and he has a wife, Linda, and five children, four boys and a girl. Tremendous family. But he's such an encourager. Barry Noonan is just... He was a spiritual, emotional running partner. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's a big guy, so we called him the bear. His whole family called him the bear. The bear was doing such and such today, the bear today. So he was a big guy, but he was gentle, like that old movie, Gentle Ben, you know, that big bear. That they, he was like that. He had this wonderful practice with his, with his kids. Whenever he was with them, they were leaving for school, they are going someplace. He'd call them over when they were small. And he'd, he'd kiss each one of them on the forehead. That was his way of cheering them on. That's just what he did. But more about Barry in just a little bit. But think of those people in Scripture who did stuff together. You say, Moses, boy, what a guy, Mount Sinai. Well, it was Moses and his brothers Aaron and Hur and his sister Miriam. 
They were the ones who danced when they crossed the Red Sea. You have David and Jonathan in the Old Testament who were brothers-in-law. And it, it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And then you got Peter, James, and John. These are fishing buddies, commercial fishing buddies in the New Testament. And you say, well, that's, that's wonderful, but where else do you see that? Well, you see it embedded in the writings of Scripture. In the New Testament, you have a number of letters. After, after the Gospels and the book of Acts, you have these letters written to young churches. And a couple are written by Peter and a couple by John. But the bulk of them, we say, were written by the Apostle Paul, right? So they say maybe 13 were written by Paul. And his name is on 13, but only five of them have just his name. The other eight have names like 1 Corinthians, Paul and Sosthenes, 2 Corinthians, Paul and Timothy, Galatians by Paul and all the brothers with me, Philippians, Paul and Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul, Silas. And so eight of the 13 were a group effort. You say, yeah, but those guys were just gophers. They just brought in the ink or the quill or something. We don't know that. That's not what he says. The text says the letter is from them, not just from Paul. <clears throat> and it wasn't just the fact that they wrote letters. They had experiences. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians. It'll be on the screen. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, etc. So here are... Here are a band of brothers in this case, folks walking together, and they were obeying the command of Jesus before he goes to the cross in John 15, the night before the crucifixion. He instructs them, so last words, which are always the most profound words, and this is what he says, John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, in that same way, laying down your lives for each other. And then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his spouse. Actually, it doesn't say that, does it? To lay down one's life for his kids. No, it's not what it says. To lay down one's life for whom? His friends. So that's, that's how it's framed. We run together. Secondly, point two, we run with our eyes on Jesus. We run with endurance, the race lying before us, because he endured the cross for the joy lying before him. Jesus has, is the trailblazer, it says, the pioneer, the completer of our faith. He's gone before. When he ran his race, same verb used, the, race, the, the, the way lying before us. Same verb. He ran for the joy set before him. Well, what was the joy? Well, you, me, we were the joy. He looked down the eons and saw us here. You say, how does that work? I have no idea how that works. But we are the joy set before him. So he ran toward us. We were his goal. And now he says, you run toward me. That's how it works. We, we were his goal, and now he is ours. But I say, okay, so we fix our eyes on Jesus. Like, which one would that be? Would that be the religious Jesus? 
That, that is, is he the Baptist Jesus or the Catholic Jesus or the Pentecostal Jesus or the Presbyterian? Which Jesus is he? Or, or, or maybe he's Jesus, the nice loving guy. Or how about the sit around and sing Kumbaya and hold hands Jesus? How about that one? Or the, or the downloadable app Jesus? And they say, there's no, no need to get snippy, folks. Just, you know. But the point is, what I tend to do with this, this powerful Jesus is he's uncomfortable for me sometimes. He disturbs me, and so I, I try to whittle him down or make him fit me rather than me fit him. So I either add stuff to him, systems and structures I can control, or I try to whittle him down to my size. Like, like I think the most common one is I follow Jesus as a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia Chronicles and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, had something to say about that. Listen to what he had to say about that. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Fix your eyes on this Jesus. Fixing our eyes implies that if we're going to fix on you, we're going to pay attention. Back in those running years, <clears throat> when, I was, when I looked better and I went faster, I was speaking at a camp in Montana, Glacier Bible Camp, not far from Glacier Park. I got up early one morning, 6.30, and I went out on the highway that heads up into the park, and it was a spectacular morning, clear skies, and the trees in Montana, those fir trees and evergreens, they're just like armies just marching up the hill, so dense and deep green, and, and I, could see the, I could see the mountains, snow-capped peaks, and all of a sudden, I'm running along, and a huge yellow dog comes out of the woods across the road. Now, if you're a runner, and do we have any runners or joggers here, people who do? Yeah, we, we have some, you know. A dog is not man's best friend when you're a runner. You know, they start barking, and other dogs pick that up. And essentially it's saying, here comes fresh meat. That's the sort of, they're passing the word. And this dog starts toward me, and I'm saying, I'm yours, Jesus. I'm just yours, you know. And he falls in beside me. And all of a sudden, it's man and his dog, and all's right with the world. It was like a cool moment. But he was out in the lane. I'm, I'm, I'm running into the traffic on the shoulder. He's out there, and pretty soon a car comes up and honks and sort of swings around the dog, and the guy shakes his fist out the window at me, and I'm saying, it's not my dog. I don't know. And this 18-wheeler is coming, just laying on the horn, and I stop, and I start screaming at this dog, get out of the road, get out. And finally, he scampers off, and the truck goes by. My heart's beating so fast, I don't have to run any farther. Got my heart rate up. It was good. And I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, that's how you are, folks. You want to sort of hang with me, be cool, go out on a fresh morning. Your problem is you just don't want to listen. Listening and obedience are the same verb in the scriptures. And so often I'm, I'm there. Paul and Timothy describe the Jesus I'm talking about. What I'd like us to do is I want us to read a text out loud together. 
And I want you to savor the words. I want you to feel the weight of the words that describe the Jesus that we follow in this race. It's from Colossians. They wrote to a church which is now in Turkey. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now that is the Jesus I'm talking about. That's the Jesus that we're running toward. That's the one who, with all those who have gone before, is cheering us on. When the Scotsman Eric Little won all those races almost 100 years ago now, in Scotland, the British Isles, and later in Paris, he wore the colors of Britain, but ran for that Jesus, the one we just read about. Point three, we run in the colors of his unshakable kingdom. You know about colors. If you were a sports person in high school, you wore the uniform. If college or university, you wear the uniform. It's just how it is. We run in the colors of the unshakable kingdom. Some years ago, when we first went to D.C., there was a fellow who came the same summer. He and his wife came, and they were up in New York, and they came down. He was a retired three-star general. His name was Dr. Howard Graves, General Howard Graves. And um, he had just retired from the superintendency of West Point Military Academy. And we became friends. We hung out, and he was like a normal guy. He was just a great guy. And one day, he had to leave for the weekend, and we said, uh, I said, uh, Howard, can I borrow your Toyota? I, I got to do some work in the backyard. I want to take some stuff to the landfill. Can he said, sure. So I borrowed his little red Toyota pickup truck and took the stuff to the landfill and then took it to the car wash. And as it was coming through the car wash, I walked in. There was a big burly guy. Clearly, he'd been a sergeant major in the army or something. And, and as he watched the car come through, as he watched the, the truck come through, he said, uh, you got some good colors there, sir. And I'm thinking, colors? I got a red pickup there. What, what colors? And then I looked on the bumper, and there was a sticker with three stars on it, it saying he was, he was a three-star general. That was a Department of Defense sticker. And I said, oh, I said, that's not, it's not my truck. I'm not a general. And he started to chuckle. I said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think you were. <laughs> I'm offended. I'm saying, well, why, why not? He said, well, a general would walk in here, reconnoiter stuff, and just sort of take over the place. And he said, you're way too relaxed. You, you, you're not a general. So from then on, I started standing up taller, tried to talk low, but it hasn't worked. I'm still not a general. Wasn't one then, not now. But the colors we wear define the team we run on. And we run in the colors of the unshakable kingdom. Further down in Hebrews 12, listen to how it reads. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is no baby Jesus making mild. 
This is the God who speaks galaxies into existence, and he is the king of an unshakable kingdom. We live in a time today when the anxiety level, both young and old alike, is so high around the world. What's the thing that doesn't move? What's the thing that still will last? It's his kingdom. When you're part of that, when you follow that Jesus, you're part of his unshakable kingdom, and that's where I want to be. I want to I want to wear the colors of an unshakable kingdom. Eric Little, the Scotsman, knew that. His style was ungainly. He had this habit of um, running two-thirds of the race, <clears throat> and then he would sort of throw his head back and, and flail his arms, as Jeff was saying last week, and pull away from the pack. And once he was running in the Commonwealth Games, and they were in Glasgow, and one fellow turned to the other and said, Look at the lad. He may not going to make it today. And the other guy looked at him and said, he did not throw his head back yet. There was something about the way he ran in faith. And when he knelt at the starting line in the 1924 Paris Olympics, it was a Friday, July the 11th, 5.30 p.m. He knew he was not alone. His teammates were in the stands cheering him on. His chief... Um, Competitor originally in the 100-meter, Harold Abrams, he was in the stands. The chair of the British Olympic Committee, the Prince of Wales, his brother Sandy, his sister Jen, who had tried to keep him away from running because she thought it would keep him out of missions in China. And, and he said to her, Jen, I'm made for China, but God also made me fast, and I feel his pleasure when I run. Even members of other teams, and all of them were there to cheer him on. For that moment, he wore the colors of Great Britain. Forever, he would win the colors, would wear the colors of an unshakable kingdom. In the 1981 movie, Chariots of Fire, they tried to capture that moment at the 1924 Olympics. Let's watch. We are not, we are not Eric Little, but we run our own race and we run it together. I want to come back to my friend Barry Noonan. Just over two weeks ago, this man, the bear, who had never been sick, went to the doctor. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer throughout his body. Said he possibly might have 90 days. Ruth and I happened to be in Sacramento that week, and we went by to see him, had a chance to pray with the family. Barry didn't have 90 days. He had 11 days. And early last Tuesday morning on June 27th, crossed the line. He crossed the finish line. One of his sons, Kirk, a vice president for Convoy of Hope, just texted me a one-line text early in the morning on Tuesday that said, the bear is in heaven. I called Kirk and he told me that 48 hours earlier in hospice care at the house, Barry had sort of come out of his semi-coma and the kids were all there. They're now adults in their 40s. They're, and they're big kids. Kirk's 6'8", a 6'4", a 6'2". They're big and Barry waved him over and had them bend down. And he kissed each of them on the forehead. He, one last time in his life, in his earthly life, cheered them on. A father's blessing. Barry's in the stands now, still cheering. We need to know when life ends, it doesn't end 
we have more to do. We move from runners to cheerers. That's what we do. Many of you have parents cheering you on from all eternity. Some of you have children cheering you on. Some of you, all of us have friends who cheer us on and they're shouting at the top of their lungs, stay with it. You can do this thing. Almost there. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. So let us run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we will know that we and express that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Those are the colors we wear. Would you bow your hearts with me? I ask you this one question. What is the Lord saying to you in this moment? I'll just be quiet for a moment. What is the Spirit of God saying to you in this moment? still bowed you need to know that when I come to these times as the other pastors do we're not saying boy I hope I do well here what we're saying is God we'd like you to do business with some people or all of us in this place some of us here this morning are saying you know I think I think I've taken my focus off Jesus a bit my passion used to be stronger. It used to be more profound, more visceral. And I just like to say that, that I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus more clearly. And Pastor Dick, I'd like you to include me in your prayer and to just slip up a hand and say, that's me. I want to do that. Yep. Yep. I see you. Dozens of us. I see you. Yes. Yes. You can put your hands down. There may be some here who say, I've never heard it like this. I may have heard a lot of messages, but I think the Spirit is talking to me today that I need to be a part of that unshakable kingdom. I need to start following that Jesus, the one that we read about. And I want to say today, I'm going to take my first step. And you just slip up your hand. Hold it high just for a moment. Put it back down. And just, yes, I see you. Yes, sir. Somebody else. You just raise your hand and say, I want to take that step. I want to do it now. I want to do it now. God bless you. Father, thank you for your life. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the unshakable kingdom that you lead and the, of which we get to be a part. We want to run well. We want to run together. We want to keep focused. Thank you for the cheerers that encourages along the way. We are grateful to you this day. And for these who have slipped up a hand, I pray that you wrap your arms around them, that as they walk from this place, your spirit will be so profound in them that they might not even be able to catch their breath well because it's, it's such a moment for them. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.